Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Good Morning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a books 
bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. John Sargent is the author of Turning Pages, The Adventures and Misadventures of a Publisher. I loved this book, by the way. John worked at three different publishers before going to Simon & Schuster to run the children's book division at the age of 29. He spent six years there, followed by three years as the CEO of DK Publishing. In 1996, he went to work as the CEO of St. Martin's Press. Three years later, he was put in charge of Holt Springs U.S. Publishers and was responsible for forming the company that is today's Macmillan. He worked there as CEO until the end of 2020. His new book, Turning Pages, is all about his life in publishing and stretches back to his upbringing on a Wyoming ranch. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Turning Pages, the adventures and misadventures of a publisher. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I have to say, this is one of my favorite books of the year for sure, but I could not put this book down. I was like, okay, I'll just check it out. No, like had to stop what I was doing, you know, and I'm like, well, this is ironic. Turning pages is exactly what I'm doing. So anyway, (laughs) your stories are fabulous. The way you write is fabulous. The short little scenes and chapters, it's so like consumable and amazing. You must know what you're doing. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Well, I've read a lot over the years. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about your book, why you decided to write this book at this time, and and all of that good stuff. Okay. So I got fired at the end of the COVID thing, and uh, I had time. And I had a great-grandfather who was an extraordinary publisher. And he got sick at the end of his life, and he felt better when he rode in a car because the vibrations helped them. So instead of just sitting in the car, he wrote a book while he was in this car driving around. And he wrote it. It was never published. He wrote it for his family and for friends and people at work. And it was called Memoirs of a Publisher. Had a white cover with just plain type on it. It was before book jackets were what book jackets became today, right? It's back when they used to be very simple. And uh, it was passed down through the family. And when I read it, I didn't actually finish it. First time I read it, I was young. And he's not a great writer, so I, I didn't I didn't finish it. And I finished it about, I don't know, 15 years ago. I took it and read it again, and it's spectacular. And what wasn't spectacular was to talk about staff meetings and real estate and all that stuff. What was spectacular was the little stories in there. He'd just sort of drop in. So he'd drop in, you know, well, we're doing this, this, this. And it was hard to focus because Teddy kept calling and asking me to go down to Washington to help him. And I'm realizing, I'm really, it's Teddy Roosevelt, you know. <laughs> and Teddy apparently sort of dictated his memoirs to him in the White House. You know, it, wow. So anyway, I thought, well, maybe I'll do that someday for my kids and, and my family to see, you know, what was I doing while they were gone? So I I did that. And then... Jonathan Gillespie of Farrar, Strauss, and Drew said he'd help me. One of the great things about being me is I know a lot of editors. Uh, <laughs> and he's a he's a good friend. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, let me let me help you with it. So he read it. And he said, you have to put more of yourself in it. And I said, I, I don't want to put myself in it. And he said, no, no, you got to put yourself in it. You got to put your family in it. Mm-hmm. I've spent all this time sort of trying not to be 
push my family. And I, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. And he, he finally convinced me, he said, you know, the, the reader needs to know the narrator is what he said. And I finally remember it was lunch. I said to him, I said, look, nobody wants to hear about little Johnny goes West. (laughs) He does. And he very kindly put his hand on my forearm and he said, everybody wants to hear about little Johnny goes West. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have how the, how the book came to be. Well, I must say, I think he might've been right. (laughs) (laughs) He was not alone. By the time I got through the process, you know, yeah, I got all the rejection letters and then finally someone said, yes. And you know, it was, it was really a great experience after all these years being on the other side of the table. Yeah. Uh, And I knew it was a very small book, right? Because you have to have some interest in publishing or it's not going to be that compelling at all. So, but everybody after him said the same stuff that, you know, more you, more you, more you. So I, I changed it substantially to be more me in it. Well, it it's uncomfortable, but. <laughs> I don't know that you have to have a real huge interest in publishing, but by the nature of people actually reading a book, they have some interest in yeah. how it got into their hands or in their ears or whatever. Yeah. So that's a pretty big audience, like readers, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one can always hope, but I, after spending all these years seeing how many small books stay small books, mm. and that it's a fa- publishing fascinating. The, there's all these books out there that are fantastic, that are small. Well, you yeah. know this better. You know this probably better than I do, right? There's these books that you read and you love them, mm-hmm. and, but you know, they don't, it doesn't happen for them. And you look and you say, why did that book fail? Mm-hmm. And why did this one work? Yes. And it's kind of like a, I always thought after all those years of doing it, it's like a black box. You just have, there's, I mean, there's some trends and stuff you can see and it has to do with publicity and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, some books just, I, some of these huge books, I read them and I think, I, I, you know, it's okay. Yeah. But it's not great. Yes. Right. So there's no answer to that. I feel like <laughs> there is no answer to it. Right. It, I mean, we published a book called The Nearly Normal Family, which I thought was utterly fantastic. And great, a great title. Thing, and we pushed it and it didn't work. And meanwhile, right next to it, we published a book which I, I thought was OK. It was good. But it was, it was, you know, it had been done before and, you know, it was one of those. And it was, it was a monster. Hmm. Two, two first novels, both sort of dark mystery suspense things. And one worked and one didn't on the same list. And I would have called, I would have a hundred percent said it would be the opposite way. So yeah, it's a black box. You never figure it out. Well, you, how, how about you with your publishing? You figure it out? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've solved the, I've solved the black box. You know, it's funny. Uh, I've done what you couldn't do in a lifetime. So if, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> no, I mean I haven't done it, but I I think about it all the time, and it's maybe I'm realizing a waste of time. But I just I feel like those books that don't get discovered sometimes the odds are stacked against them. Like it's before they even come out, they're already doomed. Right. It's like it's, it's the way it's it's a lot is in the setup, but then even the best setups can also fail. So yeah, I don't know. And then, I think... get, and then the world does a terrible thing. Like I right. remember 9-11 was a good example. Mm-hmm. We had a great list on 9-11 and that happened. And like 
Yeah. No author's got any publicity, no book sold. It just, and, and you don't get it back. You know, you have your one shot when you, yeah. when you get it public. I actually thought about that. In fact, I wrote about thinking about that because in the midst of all the chaos of 9-11 and I actually lost my best friend that day. So I was like in it and had to come home and it was the whole thing. But I was like, what about all the authors? <laughs> really? Yeah. Like this is their big day. So for anyone who's tried yeah. to write and and wants to see great books get their due, it's it can be very demoralizing. And yet we continue to try. Everyone continues. You spent like you've written the great literary masterpiece, you know, eight years working on your book. And that's the week it comes out. And literally, there were, you know, in any given week, there's, you know, thousands of books that come out. It's not a few books. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of books come out every week. Anyway. what do you? But what do you think about that? Like, is it still worth trying? Of course. Like, for the aspiring, everybody keeps wanting to do, including me. You know, you just keep wanting to write books and put books out or publish books. Well, here's, here's here's a question for you. Give me all your wisdom. When you write when you write a book, <laughs> do you get pleasure writing the book? Do you is it work for you or is it pleasure? <laughs> me personally, yeah. Oh, there, it's pleasure. There's pleasure. It, yeah. I, it's stress. You know, <laughs> working is this any good? I don't know. Should I have done this? What about this? But yes, when you're like fully in it and the characters are kind of talking to you yeah. and whatever. Yes, that's very cool. So it's worth it. Yes, but you know, if you just wanted that, you wouldn't have to publish. That's true. And the publishing is not, <laughs> is not the fun part. <laughs> uh, so you think there's nothing to be done? That books, do, it just, it is what it is. It's like any art form, like why a movie hits, yeah, why a piece it, of art. It, it, it is what it is. And sometimes, you know, the lightning strikes. Sometimes the lightning doesn't strike. If it's really, really good, it has a much higher chance. And in publishing the what happens in you know i've always worked in the bigger publishing companies what what happens is the the collective inside the publishing house mm-hmm. is what makes it happen so you know the answer is if it's really good you might have a publicist who just never gives up on it mm. never just you know a year later the paperback comes out and they're still charged up and they're still trying to make it happen and they're getting their friends in the publishing house to be that way too and and just that level of energy and enthusiasm makes it so i don't want to pay, i'm painting it wrong right the the most of the good great books do find their way mm-hmm. most of the great books but there is this complete element of just chance yeah. And I'm always surprised at the non-great books that make it so big. Right. So what about that? a lot of those. <laughs> Why? Why? What? What? Give no answer. I have no answer. Okay. All right. Well, tackling an unknowable system. Fabulous. <laughs> great way to spend time. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, and have, from reading your book, I see your, your, the interest in all of this and getting stories out and interest in the in the machinery behind all of it as well and how things work. And, uh, you know, I was fascinated by what you did when there were changes that faced the industry. You know, I feel like this is also a business book, which I also love. Like what happens when an Amazon comes in or an ebook comes in or like, what, what, what do you do with a market disruption factor? How do you navigate your ship? So talk a little bit about that. And you took very strong stands and earned a lot of worldwide (laughs) respect for your stances, which is great. (laughs) For whatever reason, I took a lot of arrows in the yes. <laughs> in the great digital transformation. Look, it, it was like it was for movies, like it was for music. 
it was a hugely disruptive time. And my, my view was always, you had to protect the author's livelihood, right? That was the key to it all because publishers, all, all we are is sort of the stewards of the author's work, right? Mm-hmm. We bring their work to the, to readers and it has to have a system where authors get paid. And, and if you look what happened with music, if that had happened in publishing, that would have been a complete disaster, mm-hmm. right? No bookstores, right? Cause you know, like no music stores and authors getting pennies and, you know, authors can't sell t-shirts and, and play, play gigs to make their money. Right. <laughs> As it turns out, <laughs> there's not generally speaking, 150 people who want to pay 10 bucks to come into a room and listen to authors. <laughs> so, so, you know, I always, well, when I looked at it, I, the price was huge. The, the, the sort of stakes were very, very high. And I have this great love of the business. So separate from the profitability of the company and what was good for us and what was good for the profits and what was good for the sales and all that, for me, there was a heavy sort of weight of what's right for this industry and what's right for the authors. At the end, not the authors today, but the authors tomorrow and 10 years from now. And, and you know, how do you... How do you make it through? And so I did, in fact, take take a fair number of, you know, stood up in front on a fair number of issues and paid the paid the consequent price and, <laughs> and what it what it was like. But I would never trade that trade that in for anything. Those it mattered, you know. It did. The day that you know Apple came to town, and the day that the Department of Justice took on Apple and stuff that when that that was happening. We didn't know whether there'd be a future for the business or not. We really didn't. And boy, it mattered. And there was consequence. And I, you know, it was, uh, it was great. It was great. Amazing. I feel like this should be a movie, you know, even just that scene. I don't know if you saw this movie about the Blackberry. Did did you ever watch that? Oh, no, I heard about it. I haven't seen it. Nobody watched this movie, I think, in the world except for my husband and me, but that's fine. <laughs> because I've But you watched it, to, it three times. So. I watched it to so many I mentioned it to so many people because I find those moments in history fascinating when there's something that is so huge, you know, like Kodak, right? Whoever thought, right? I worked on the Kodak account at my first job at Ogilvy and made their advertising. Like yeah. nobody would have thought. It was like the God. But these yeah. things happen all the time over and over. So you have to expect all of that. Yeah. And if you're lucky, if you're ambitious, which I was, and you're lucky, you find yourself in one of those moments mm-hmm. that you know, your decisions and what you do make a, have a significant impact mm-hmm. on an industry or on authors or on people you care about. And that's a, uh, it's a remarkable thing. And, I, you know, I saw all that from the inside. And that was one of the reasons to write the book was to let folks know publishing people who were mm-hmm who are interested in publishing, you know, readers who are interested in publishing, what that was like from the inside, as opposed to, as opposed to just a telling of the, you know, sort of a mechanical telling of the events, you know, what it felt like to be in the middle of that, that stuff. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I mean, from reading your book, you learn what kind of person you are, right? So that we see all the patterns of why it's no it's almost no surprise by the time we get to those moments in your life that you have yeah. the confidence and the way you're thinking about it to to take those stands. But when you think about how many people don't speak up or don't feel empowered to yeah. Yeah. do what they want because it's so unpopular, like, is that just something yeah. you have to feel deep down? Like, can you teach somebody that? Or is it something that just comes from who you are? Yeah, a lot of it comes from who you are. Um, I'm sure you can work on it. You know, if you if you want to be one of those people, you can work on doing. The only way to do that is to experience it, right? You mm-hmm. you have to be adventurous. You have to take risk. You have to like adventure, and you have to push yourself to do that. Mm-hmm. You have to get some reward from that. And there's some people who just adventure just scares them, and they don't they don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so. I think it is a little bit of who you naturally are, but I've seen many people over the over the years, you know, develop it because it's it's comp- you have to have self confidence, right, to do that. And if you're in a nurturing environment at work, mm-hmm. and and you're getting the right feedback and you're having success, I it was one of the best things about my job for all those years was seeing the, these young people who, if you give them responsibility. And you let them make their decisions and mistakes, and you don't punish the mistake, but you instead say, okay, well, we're not going to do that again because, you know, and you discuss it. And you see their confidence build, and you see them become the people who – everybody has to become that, right? You, mm-hmm. you start when you're born, and you become something, and you you become for a long time. And uh, that was one of the great rewards of the business was to see these people become strong. Mm-hmm. Some strong people. Amazing. But thanks for thanks for saying that about the book. I uh, I was attempting to do that without doing it. You know, having it be yeah. sort of just you. Sort of you get to the point of the bigger stories at work and and know enough. Sort of just through reading the other stories, not being mm-hmm. told, just reading through the other stories that there's some sort of thread that makes sense going through the book. Yeah. I also, though, back to agreeing with Jonathan Galassi, the way you write about your wife is so nice. I mean, <laughs> Connie, right? I feel like you could have like a whole like side book on that, like like a 
Bridges in Madison County little love story or something. Yeah. Like you're so devoted. It's so sweet. She's fantastic. What is the secret to that? What is the secret to she's fantastic, right? Um, she's a fantastic human being. I don't know. I I tried to in the book, I tried to not, you know, sort of hit that over the head, hit, hit that over the head, but I tried to put in little things about Connie and my two kids that they're the most important thing to me, right? Over it all. And and work was was there and that's more interesting to folks. But 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 it would have been kind of false not to have them be there and try to show just through the little stories, couple little stories, try to show how spectacular they are as people. You mm-hmm. know, they're spectacular. All three of them are spectacular. And uh I wanted to just let folks know how important that was to me. But I didn't want to make it a big part of the book. So tried to do it just in little ways here and there. Love it. When you said, you know, you've been in publishing a long time, I was, when I referenced sort of the, the fast paced nature of it and the shorter chapters, like what are the things that you said, okay, well, I have to make sure to do X, Y, or Z in this book because I know this works and this doesn't work. And like how involved were you with the cover and like all the details, like knowing what you know, what did you, what decisions did you make? Because that's yeah, great. Great question. Books are the best books are a good story. Mm-hmm. Right. Just sort of unequivocally, a great story is a book. So my thought was just give the great stories. Don't put any of the filler in between. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to make it a book of short stories. So I wanted it to have some sort of form. And that was the hardest part was giving it a structure that made sense, narrative arc, all that stuff. And just telling the stories, not filling in the stuff in between. So very conscious effort that storytelling is, I've always been good at it sort of verbally. It's been one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably good at, you know, public speaking, things like that. And, uh, I thought, just tell, just tell the stories. And the publisher was great. They let me, I, I sort of art directed the, the jacket and, and, uh, that, that thing on the jacket is a sculpture my daughter made for me of one of my favorite books, Leaving Cheyenne by Larry McMurtry. And she made that for me when she was a teenager. And you, you can see it's, it is actually that sculpture sits on my bureau. And, wow. and Connie took the picture. I asked Connie to take the picture. And the publisher did the type. I did the colors. <laughs> I did the title and the subtitle. The publisher added misadventures. Mm-hmm. Wanted, I wanted the adventures of publishers, what I had. And they said, no, adventures, misadventures, which is a good idea. Yep. And I love their type selection. I chose the red and the white. Anyway. It's great. Yeah, I was more involved than the average guy probably because they were great about it. They they knew I had a history. But how? what is it? Is this the actual book and she turned the pages down? Like what did she, how did she do that? And, and she cracks the spine. If you look, you can see the spine. Yep. She cracks the spine and those are, the pages are, are varnished, each individual page. She puts spacers and varnished it. And it's a, as you can see, it's a, it's a cool object. Yes. Wow. And it's a great book. If you haven't read it, Leaving Cheyenne by Larry McMurtry is a great book. Who knew? I have a light that does like a nightlight. Have you seen that that you opened? Yeah. So my kids were like playing with them and I was like, look, I have a book that looks just like your life. (laughs) (laughs) So they thought that was cool. So where do you see things going now? Like, is there any, do you see a big disruptive force? Do you see, like everybody always bemoans publishing, right? Like, Oh, it's a constant. It's always been there. (laughs) 
Everybody's <laughs> oh, publishing's dead, you know. Oh, God. I am so old that I do remember when color television was going to be the end of book publishing. <laughs> so it's here so, to stay, right? It's No, it, yeah, it, it's this sort of, I don't know, it's self absorption of publishing right it, and and the sky is always falling you know mm-hmm. sales were down three percent this year oh my god you know the industry's <laughs> gone. you go through these cycles where publishing struggles and doesn't but look at covid i mean if you ever have an example of how resilient books are right now uh, books exploded during covid and i remember in the beginning of covid uh the owner of the company was was really thought you know oh, it's all over you know and mm-hmm. i I looked and you could tell book by book because the supply chain was screwed up. So, you know, Amazon would run out of a book, but then you'd see sales at Target go up and then, you know, Target would run out of a book and then you'd see the sales go up at Barnes and Noble. And you could tell people were searching for the books and finding them. And you think, you know, wow, that, that says something. And Mm -hmm. if you look at independent bookstores, right, well, you know this, in the community, it's more than just a bookstore, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a a place that makes it feel like home. Mm -hmm. And and the power of that is huge. And look at the artifact. The artifact is fantastic. Look at your look at your house. Look at those same lines, right? the, the artifact is I I, I know having, having having you described what happened to so you organize those books. They're like your friends, right? You mm-hmm. look at the book and you say, "Oh, I remember when I read that," and, and "Oh, I love that book," and or you think of the character in it, or yep. and um, so there's this. The artifact is spectacular, and so uh, I don't worry about it. I you know people carry on the death of publishing. It's been that way every five years. We have a death of publishing moment. You know, I look at the young people that people say, "Oh, the young people today in publishing, they don't appreciate freedom of speech. They don't appreciate this." I say, oh, there's some issues. But the young people in publishing are fantastic. You know, the, the people age 22 to 50 in publishing are fantastic. They're bright, hardworking, great love of books. I don't know. Freedom of speech will change a bit. That Freedom of speech generally does change a bit. Uh, and it might change more now than it did. And there's a moment where, you know, publishers can't publish certain books because of this, that, or the other that's going on in the culture. And that will also ourself out. Those are pendulum swings. They come and they go. So I have great confidence that it's that it's all going to be fine. You look at you look at how many truly difficult things have happened. Digital transition. I remember I remember when the bookstore chains were going to kill publishing. There would be no independent bookstores. Amazon was going to kill independent book retailing. That didn't happen. The Kindle was going to dwarf the physical book. That didn't happen. It'll be an interesting, vibrant business, you know, for a long, long time. I think right now you have all sorts of, you know, the library lending thing is a really interesting issue. The freedom of speech stuff is a really interesting issue. And people are going to have to stand up. You know, there's going to be there's going to be moments when people got to stand up and really, you know, fight for what they believe in. Wow. I love that. So what are aside from promoting your book, what what are you doing with your time now? Oh man, I you know I <laughs> I kept thinking it was going to be bucolic walks on the beach and you know this that, and the other, but I'm I've uh, I got involved with a tattered cover bookstore in Denver. Oh, I was just on a call with one of the board members yesterday who was asking for advice, and I'm like, "You're asking me, but okay." <laughs> yeah, she was so nice, but yeah. Who who was it? Oh, Leslie and Margie. 
Margie, Margie. Margie. Margie is fantastic. She's yes. a fantastic human being. So I'm on the board of that with Margie. Oh, great. Okay. And uh, I ended up taking the slot as uh, the chairman of the Ocean Conservancy. And, you know, that's really important stuff. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, 15 years ago, we started the carbon emissions work at Macmillan and made, you know, tremendous amounts of headway. There's a lot that we can do. And everybody's so negative about that all the time. You know, there's a lot we can do because we're in a, we've gotten ourselves in a pickle by being really bad about it. So there's a lot of steps you can take to be better about it, right? So I spent a lot of time working on those issues. I have a very complicated Wyoming life. Uh, my mother died right after, uh, at the end of COVID. Sorry. You know, she still had all these interests in Wyoming, which now uh, she gave everything to the University of Wyoming. So I'm managing it all on their behalf. <laughs> but, you know, I still have a bunch of full-time employees in Wyoming. I'm busy cattle ranching, property development. You know, it, it's good stuff. Wow. Anyway, I'm having, a, I'm having a great time. I advise some people. I advise. So it's I don't get paid and the alarm clock doesn't go off at 4 a.m. anymore. Those are the two the two largest differences. <laughs> Still having a great time. Wait, you you used to wake up at four on purpose every day? Yeah, we battle every day. Every it was either uh, four on the days I exercised. So I always got home for dinner, and I always did about twelve hours of work a day. So that meant the average day I was at work by six thirty in the morning, uh, somewhere between six and six thirty. I got to work, and uh, I'm a big believer in exercise. So I exercised before I left for work. And so, you know, the three mornings a week I exercised, it was 4 a.m. And the other mornings it was 5 a.m. that uh, I set the alarm for. Hmm. But I got up early every morning. What time would you go to sleep at night? How much sleep are we talking here? (laughs) (laughs) Ideally, I went to sleep. You make me sound hideously boring. (laughs) Ideally, I went to sleep at 930. I I do not feel like this is boring at all. I just wanted to know if you were one of those people who doesn't need that much sleep or if you just went to bed early and got up early. I do need sleep. And by Friday of every week, I was uh, pre-run down. Mm-hmm. You know, it was because on average, I would probably get, I don't know, six hours of sleep a night in in reality, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. And uh, it was particularly when it was stressful. It was a lot, a lot of trips to Europe. I, I used to fly coach because I if everybody in the company was going to fly business or everybody was going to fly coach. I w- I'm not one of those guys who says, okay, the executives go one way and everybody else goes the other. And we couldn't, publishing's a thin margin business. So we all went coach. So the red eyes to Europe, you know, once a month on, <laughs> on coach was not, was not ideal. Oh my gosh. Well, it all paid off. Turning pages. I book <laughs> out of it. So anyway, well, this has been such an honor. You're such a legend. The stories were amazing and the book was great. And I just feel so lucky I got to sit and chat with you for half an hour. So thank you. What fun. What fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Okay. Take okay. Care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat 
rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.